<laughs> what busy schedule. <laughs> I'm retired. <laughs> I don't do anything anymore. That's busy. Um, it's, <laughs> it's an honor and a privilege to, to be here. You know, it's... Um, it really is an honor to, to be invited to do anything in Alcoholics Anonymous and a privilege, but, you know, when you, when you have spoken someplace in the past and they invite you to come back again, that, that is, um, that's saying a lot. Um, I, I want to thank Laura uh, for picking me up at the airport. I'm not going into that long thing like Zippy did last night. <laughs> And uh, I met Zippy at Sessions, and um, wonderful man, and, and Russell, wherever you are, if you're here, um, I, I really enjoyed your talk last night, like, like um, I enjoyed Zippy's yesterday afternoon. I always get something out of Alcoholics Anonymous, always. I have never gone to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous that I haven't gotten one thing out of that, that perhaps might save my life tomorrow or the next day. I have a, a really a love affair going with Alcoholics Anonymous and have since I walked through the doors um, of Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I want to thank the, the committee. I want to thank Kathy. I want to thank you for having me back. You might be sorry by the end of the weekend, but uh, out of my busy life, I came, and um, <laughs> it's always good to see Dick wherever he went. He probably left, and uh, he and Peggy have been good friends over the years, and I, I love that about Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, you, you make a lot of friends, and uh, you can pick it up, boom, right where you left off, even if you haven't seen somebody in years and years and years. But uh, bless you, Kathy, and the committee, and, and thank you for the the fruit basket and and uh, the calendar and everything else just it's a privilege like I said to be here I'm an alcoholic incidentally and my name is Beth Gordon I I needed to tell you that so you wouldn't think I just was driving by and thought oh goody I'll just stop here um, I'll tell you the AA meeting is the last place I'd want to drop in on if I didn't have anything else to do I um, also my sponsor, and I have one, and I'm not going into her much. Um, she's one of those that I have to call every day, and uh, she she lets me not call her when I go away, and um, if I miss the phone rings and and. Whether it's the answering machine that answers or it's me that answers, it's the same message. This is God calling. Where have you been? Uh, so, but I have a sponsor, I want you to know. Um, I also have a home group, which is very, very important. Um, I think it's the best home group in the world, and if you don't like your home group, don't come and mess mine up. Go find another one. Um, it, it's a Golden Link group, and we meet on Sunday mornings in, in Macedonia, Ohio. And if you're ever driving through, through that area, uh, do, do drop in and, and visit us. And, and it is by the grace of God and people like you and rooms like this and um, 
12 wonderful steps that I have not found it necessary to pick up a drink or, or um, take anything else that's going to make me feel weirder than I already do uh, since March the 5th of 1972. And for this, I am extremely grateful. So get that stuff out of the way. And I appreciate my present. I can't wait to see what it is. <laughs> I don't know what it says. I read Zippy. <laughs> anyway, I, um, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous to stop drinking. I knew nothing about a way of life. I knew nothing about anything. When, when, I, uh, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, yes, I'd gone uh, to AA over the past or around Alcoholics Anonymous, I should say, um, for a while uh, before I listened and I learned how to hear and um, played games with it. And I'll get into that. Uh, if you're new... For God's sake, stay here. Don't, don't play with it, because I found out something very important when I was playing for it. With it, that, that uh, alcohol wins every time. I don't want to get in an arena with it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I want to stay out of its playground, because if I get one toenail in its playground, it's going to win. But when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, my sponsor said to me, I knew, I knew nothing, nothing, that this was a way of life. And my sponsor said to me, this is a journey. It is a way of life, a wonderful way of life. It's, it's like sitting on a choo-choo or on a bus, and uh, you look out the window, and you pass beautiful. Some of the scenery is just beautiful, like the fall leaves are around here and, and uh, up where I live in Ohio. And, you know, and, and, and sometimes you see beautiful mountains or you, or you see fields of flowers. And then sometimes you're looking out the window and, and you see it's, it's very barren and it's very dark. And um, it makes you feel uncomfortable. And she said, if you continue to look out that window, sooner or later you're going to get back into the beautiful part that's going to make you feel good on the inside. And she said, that's life. That's what life is. It, it, it isn't all skipping through the tulips and la-di-da-di-da. -da. She said, and this is what this is. What Alcoholics Anonymous does is teach you the way of life, Bethy, that when you see the cloud come over the sunshine, that you can look very hard, and there's always that little ray of sunshine that you can see. And it's a journey. And I said, I can't wait till I know it all. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, I can't wait till I know it all till I get there. And she said, where's there? And I said, you know, there. When you know everything. When there, you know everything there is to know. And she said, oh, yeah, there with them. And, and she said, I got news. You're never going to get there. This is an ongoing thing. And you never learn it all. You never learn all about the 12 steps. You never learn all about this. You never learn all about that. And that's why you stay in meeting rooms. 
because this is where the action is. And this is where you listen and you learn how to hear. And you hear the things of value that might save your life tomorrow. And I said, I know when I'm going to know it all. When, when uh, I said, the day I die. And, and I go to the big meeting in the sky, that, like you guys say. That's when I'll get to know it all. And she said, i got to, I got to tell you something. The day you die, and you go to that big meeting in the sky, she said, you're going to walk through those gates, and you're going to be the new person, and you're going to have to start all over again. Blech. So it's just a, a never-ending thing. Anyway, I don't know why I argue with her. You know, so quite a journey, quite a way of life, I'll tell you. And it tells a little that we got to tell a little bit about what it was like and what happened and then what it's like today. And I'm here to tell you that the spiritual life is not a theory. I know it's not theory. I wouldn't be standing here if it was a theory. I would not be able to look out the window at times on this journey when it's real barren out there and, and then see a little flower pop up if it was a theory. It's, uh, the spiritual foundation of this program is phenomenal. And, and the wonderful part about it is, no, we're never through. We're never through learning. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's quite an adventure. I, um, when I was a little girl, I loved to run through the sunshine and chase butterflies and, you know, stick a dandelion on the end of my nose, you know, rub it in so my nose would turn yellow, and then I could go boo at the neighbor lady next door who was just horrible and had bad breath. And I couldn't stand her. And I thought I scared her to death. And, uh, you know, I had tea with my raggedy, and I, I just, I, I loved life. And uh, I adored it. And then I went to school. And the kids laughed. Kids laughed. And um, my father was murdered when my mother was three months pregnant with me. He was, my dad was an alcoholic. And he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he was murdered in a speakeasy in Chicago at the age of 24. And uh, so I didn't have a father, and the kids laughed. My mother did remarry. Um, finest man I've ever met in my life, one of them, when I was eight years old. And um, I loved him to death, just loved him. Uh, also, I talked funny. My mother and my grandparents had come over from Aberdeen, Scotland, when my mother was a little girl. And um, so when my father was murdered, my mom and I moved in with, when I, after I was born, moved in with my grandpa, who was a widower. And uh, all I heard was the Scottish stuff. And uh, that's how I talked. And the kids laughed. So I, I don't know what happened. I just took this, cop this attitude. And my mother finally ended up taking me for nine and a half years addiction lessons and uh, so that I would talk, not talk funny anymore. And uh, 
But, but something had happened. I don't know what. I don't care what. Also, I come from a line of alcoholics, a line of them. And that has nothing to do with anything. The reason that I am an alcoholic is because I picked up the first dingbat drink. That's why. And, and I should have known if I'd have been watching and not copping such a dumb attitude uh, what drinking could do, but I didn't pay any attention. I mean, they were all always loaded. I, I can remember they'd come over to the house, and, and everybody would, mm, mm, I'm so glad to see, you know how they are, my how you've grown, Blah. and uh, everybody was nice and huggy, and um, then <laughs> they'd take out bottles, and they'd pour bottles into, the stuff in the bottles into glasses of, of uh, ice, where there was ice cubes, and then everybody'd start to drink it, and then everybody'd get mad at each other, and they'd say terrible words, and then everybody'd go home and slam the door, and we never ate. And uh, I swore I was never going to have any of that stuff that came in a bottle because I just wasn't going to live that way. And, and so I had this big attitude. You wouldn't have known it. At all. I wore a mask till I came to Alcoholics Anonymous when my sponsor said to me, you don't need to wear a mask anymore. She said, that's not what it's about. You can stop the pretending. And you can learn who you are and where you're going. And she said, that's a promise. And it comes as you practice the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, today I can say I know who I am and I know where I'm going. I know I'm an alcoholic, and when I say I'm an alcoholic, I literally thank God because I have a beautiful way of life because of you. Oh, there's stuff that comes into this life that I don't really like, a lot of it. And, uh, you know, I found myself a couple of weeks ago saying, will you cut it out? and go pick on somebody else. And, and then I realize that it's the circumstances of life. Like the dark cloud coming across the sunshine when, when you're on this little adventure. And um, I know I'm going trudging a road. That's phenomenal. With all its ups and downs, ins and outs. <laughs> phenomenal. And if you're new stay in these rooms, and I promise you, as tough as it sometimes gets, you can get through it, and you don't have to drink, and that's the glory of it. That's the glory of it. So, um, anyway, I, you know, I ding-batted my way through life, and, uh, Prince Charming came along in 1955, and I hopped into his blue Ford, and we rode off into the sunset. And I knew everything was going to be all right. I knew that I would get everything I wanted because I was getting married. Short marital course. That isn't the way it works. It, it's giving. It is not. It, it is. It's giving and asking for nothing in return. And I've learned through you that that's what love is. And I was incapable of doing that. I hated being married. I did. I wanted to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And when my first daughter was born, I hated being a mother. 
because it was interfering with what I wanted to do. And I hadn't even picked up the first drink yet. And when I was 26 years old at a party, um, some guy said to me, why don't you learn how to relax? You're always so tense. You know, why don't you smile? You never smile. I never smiled though I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And you guys said, while you're running around going to all these meetings and reading the big book, why don't you smile and give your face something to do? <laughs> so it doesn't feel left out. I didn't smile. I didn't smile ever since. So, uh, now you're going to think if I smile when I see you, it might not be because I like you. It might be because I know my sponsor can see what I'm doing when she isn't even here. Um, so he held it out, a Manhattan on the rocks with a bunch of garbage in it. And, and this arm shot out from this shoulder, and I picked that up, and I... And, oh, it's the worst thing I ever had. I mean, my God. Did you ever suck on a lemon? You know how it... And that's what it was like. It was horrible until it hit. And then wonderful things started to happen. I came in from out there. For the first time in my life, I came inside and I could talk and it made sense to me. And uh, I, I went to the bathroom and washed my hands and looked in the mirror. I saw Elizabeth Taylor looking back at me and boy, that put the frosting on the cake. And I found it. I found this magic something that I had been looking for all my life up to that point. And I drank from that period of time on, and I got drunk, and I got into a lot of trouble. My drinking was like kicking a snowball off of Mount Everest, and it would go downhill, and it went faster and faster until it smashed at the bottom of the mountain. And the horrible thing about alcoholism, my alcoholism, it was. I took everything in my path with me. I destroyed things I didn't mean to destroy. I said things I didn't mean to say. I, I didn't understand half the time what I was doing. I didn't like it half the time. And the pain was so severe that I, the only way I would fix it would be to pick up a drink. It didn't happen. It moves. Gotta quit. It didn't happen right away. It's a slow process. You know, in, in the beginning, it, it was much like you. We, can, we could sit and, and we, we basically did the same things. You know, I, uh, I discovered wine. God, I loved wine. It was like rocket juice. Mm. It got me where I wanted to go quicker, and it was cheap, and it was accessible. You know, I could buy it in the drugstore, I could buy it in the large economy, or in the, you know, in the courts, in, in the little pints that you could stick down your front, and you could get in the house without making a lump. And, and it, uh, the guy on the next street made Mad Dog, and I thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever had in my life. It had crunchy stuff on the bottom. And I thought, oh, I'm getting my nutrition. And uh, stopped, stopped taking vitamins. And uh, it's a thinking problem. 
in truth. And uh, I, I just loved it. It, it just... It, it just did things for me. I just, you know, and I had a pawnbroker down in Cleveland, and, and I was pawning stuff out of the house to get the money to keep up this this thing that had started. And uh, <laughs> my husband walked in that neighborhood downtown. He was with another man, and they were on their way to lunch. And he happened to pass by a pawn shop, and he looked in, and there was a silver bowl, and it said... To Beth and Bruce, <laughs> July 9th, 1955. And when he got home, I heard about that. <laughs> and I said, oh, no, it must be somebody else's, you know, and pretended like I couldn't find the silver bowl. And he said, well, it's really strange. You know, I felt sorry for him because I, I really, we, it is a family disease. I mean, there's no getting around it. You ask any Alan I'm sitting in this room. We suck them in, and uh, it, it, it's an awful thing. In truth, it can be an awful thing. I, I uh, you know, forged checks and did all that junk and hid my booze the same way you did. I don't know, my favorite place was a douchebag. Uh, <laughs> aren't you glad you're not signing this? <laughs> I don't know how you'd do that one. Well, you know, you pour it in there, and, and uh, nobody looks in one, to my knowledge. And then I'd hang it in the bathroom, put foil over it, so the fumes wouldn't come out. And then every time I get the great thirst, you know, I'd just go in there and take the hose and clean it. And it worked for a while. It worked for a while. Thinking problems, <laughs> you know, and all kinds of stuff like that. And and, uh, and I paint some of the quartz white and fifth white. Hang them out the second story window on a white rope because one day I decided that I was wasting too much time trying to read notes I'd written and couldn't read them. And you know, and then I draw maps of where I hid it, and I couldn't find it because I couldn't follow the map. And uh, so I figured if I painted these bottles white just a couple at a time and hung them out the second story window on a white rope. And, and you couldn't see it because we lived in a white house. And I went out and checked. And uh, it blended in. And then when the great thirst came, when I was hoovering upstairs or something, I could haul it in and have a little slug and then let it back down and I wouldn't be wasting my time. So that worked till he saw one. And he said to me, Beth, get out here. He oh, I thought. And he said, what is that? And I said, what? <laughs> and he said, he said, you wait right here. I'm going to get Marty. Marty was his best friend. And he said, you stand right here and don't you move. And you know how we are. Oh, mm-hmm. And he went around the bushes down the street to get Marty. And I shot up those stairs like God knows who and uh, grabbed it in and stuck it under the bed and went back downstairs in the front lawn, and I wasn't even breathing hard when Marty came. And he said, Marty, she's going absolutely nuts. There's something the matter with her. Look what she's doing. She's painting those and hanging them out the window. And he said, see? And Marty took a look, and he said, you know, Bruce, 
maybe you need to go see a psychiatrist. I don't see anything there. So, you know, and on it goes. So after five years of this shenanigans, he, um, and my, I was getting very irresponsible. I wasn't sing to the children the way I should. And he said to me, you've got a problem. You're an alcoholic and I want you to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. I would have rather have been crazy than to have been an alcoholic. I wasn't an alcoholic. I lived in the suburbs. I, I was this little wine-drinking lady. Sometimes I didn't understand what was happening to me. Sometimes I got concerned. Sometimes I worried. But to, to keep the peace and to keep the allowance coming in, because he told me he'd cut my allowance, and I didn't want that. That to happen. So I went around Alcoholics Anonymous for the first time. And if you're new, please listen. I wasn't honest. I didn't have an open mind. Oh, I heard what you said. I heard what you said. But see, you had divorces, and I, li I, I listened for that stuff. All the things that hadn't happened to me yet. And, and it gave me an excuse. Yet is one of the most powerful words in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'll clue you, if you go out there and do what you did, you're going to get what you got in spades. Because I found out the hard way. I found out the hard way. And I wasn't willing to do anything you asked me to do. And I continued along with this until the neighbors caught on and the social service came. And it, it just continually gets worse. I didn't want to lose my children. I was told I was going to lose my children, whether I was married or not. All the time I could remember from when I was a little girl running in the sunshine, chasing butterflies. I'd wanted to be a good wife and a good mother. And that's been said from this podium, you know, o over the weekend. And, and it was just, it, it was evaporating right in front of my eyes. I didn't understand why. And, and again, the pain was so severe. The only way I knew how to get out of the pain was to pick up a drink. I went around to Alcoholics Anonymous. Again, I played the same game. I went to one meeting a week. Hmm. I get thinking about, which I shouldn't do because of that. But, you know, I, that's what my sponsor always says. If you go to AA meetings, you listen. If you're by yourself, you think. So you better go live in AA meetings. And then you won't think. I can hear her. And... Um, Think the committee's bad up there when they get going? Ha <laughs> ha, you ought to hear Evelyn. Um, I went to one meeting a week, and, and I got thinking about it. I'm pushing, I'm going to be 70. And I got thinking to myself, what if I had gone to school just once a week since I was in kindergarten? I wonder what grade I'd be in. Maybe third? possibly fourth, and, and I can't do it. And, and I'm not speaking for Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm just telling you the way I feel. I could no more go to one meeting a week and survive. I can't. I've got this stuff going on in between here. And, and I have to go, and I have to be active, and I have to do the, the service, and, and I love sponsoring. This was mentioned by Russell last night. 
I love sponsoring. I can learn more from the new pe- person that comes through the doors. It, it's phenomenal. I, I love sponsoring. I love my sponsorees. Am I a good sponsor? I don't know. Do they all stay sober? No. But I do. And, and that's where it begins and ends. It, it's... Uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful way of life. Wonderful. It's, uh, so I, I just, you know, and four years after that, a judge said to me, you better go to Alcoholics Anonymous or you're going to the workhouse for 90 days, and I didn't want to go to the workhouse. I didn't like the way the stripes went in the suits. <laughs> and... Uh, I was up on an assault and battery charge that was pretty, pretty bad. I'm my ninth DUI, and uh, I had gotten mad at the Summit County Sheriff that picked me up and wanted to take me home, and uh, I hit him over the head with my wine bottle, and uh, he got 24 stitches, and I got my picture taken with some numbers under my chin. So on March the 4th of 19... 19- 72, sitting at a kitchen table, I watched my family go to church. Nobody said goodbye. My family stopped talking to me a long time. You know, they call this a lonely sickness. God, is it ever. Nobody talks to you. Nobody waves at you. It's, it's, you're all alone, no matter where you, no, no matter where you are. And you're lonely. And, and you want I can remember being in the bedroom, looking outside and watching the kids at the school bus. And I saw the other mothers out there. And, and their hair shone, and, and I could hear them laugh. And they were holding on to the hands of their children. And my kids were standing over here all alone. All alone. Nobody wants to play with the kids of a drunk after a while. Nobody wants to invite anybody anywhere in your family because if you invite them, you've got to invite her. And, and they were in, they, they will tell me today when I ask them that they were living in a virtual abyss of loneliness. Kids would, would ignore them. People stopped asking my husband to go play golf. His friends would say to him, you've got to do something. And uh, I watched them go to uh, church. On those faces were written all the horror and all the devastation and all the ugliness of the disease of alcoholism. And when that door shut and I was all alone and I hadn't had anything to drink since 9 o'clock that morning, I finished everything there was in the house. It's the first time I didn't have that terrible feeling in the pit of my stomach. God-awful feeling that, that I, you know, that if you don't have something to drink, you're going to die. I, I just, there was nothing there. I, I, you know, I, I didn't go towards the cologne and the rubbing alcohol and stuff like that that I'd done over the years. I just sat there. 
And when that door shut and I was in the silence of that kitchen, I knew something. I knew that I am an alcoholic and my life was screwed up and, and it was ending and I wanted to live. I didn't say God help me because I didn't believe in God at that time. I slammed the door on him. A long time before that. But I believe sincerely that on that day when I wanted to live so badly, that little part of me that hadn't been chewed alive by alcohol that I call my soul opened up and God zoomed in and handed me a gift of sobriety. And I think this is a gift. And the thing of it is, is maybe why I, I go to as many meetings as I do, maybe why I, I go to big book discussions, maybe why I, I sponsor and do all that, and, and I, don't, I don't really ask why. But maybe the reason I do today what I have been doing for over 28 years is that it works. And if it works, why fix it? And, and it's just those solid, everyday things. I do not believe this gift will be given to me again. And I don't want to play with it. You know, I, it's like when I was a kid, I got a Monopoly set for Christmas. A most wonderful gift. I love Monopoly. And I was real careful of it and picked it up and, and put it all back together and put it on the shelf. And it was there the next time I wanted to play it and could take it down. Now, then I got hit a point where I got careless with it. I, I lost a piece there, I lost a dice there, I lost community chests here, chances here. And the day came when I went to take that thing down from the shelf that I couldn't play it anymore because I'd gotten careless. And I don't want that to happen with my sobriety. Because if I lose my sobriety, I lose everything. Everything. I called my Aunt Jean in Chicago, who at that time had nine years of sobriety, and I told her I needed help, that I am an alcoholic. And my Aunt Jean asked me the name of an old-timer that had never given up hope on me. His name's Jerry Jackson. He died in 1978. And uh, Jerry had given my family hope. I had met him in, in the early 60s when I was screwing around with Alcoholics Anonymous. And, Jerry gave my family hope, that same kind of hope that we give each other, that same kind of hope that we see when we, in, in our, each other's eyes, that same kind of hope that the new person feels when they walk into a room like this and, and you know, into a meeting and you say, is there anybody new? And, and they raise their hand. And, and people go over and talk to them afterward. It is so important. That new person is the most important person in the world. And, and to feel that handshake gives them the hope that they need. The same kind of hope that we give to each other through a phone call. The same kind of hope that we can get from talking across the table to another member of Alcoholics Anonymous or, or going to a meeting when, when we're passing the point in our journey when everything is done. The hope 
that that AA has is is phenomenal that we learn. I saw that kind of hope. I was cleaning the house when when I got sober and and I I knocked a, a spider down out of the corner and uh, demolished his his spider web and he came boof down on this little invisible something and, and I thought. You know, I, I wanted to kill him, but I couldn't for some reason. He's hanging on the way we hang on when the chips are down, when we're going through that dark period. And, and I thought to him, I watched him. And he put one fuzzy foot over I mean, I didn't stand there like some kind of a loon because it takes him a while. But every time I go through there, he put one fuzzy foot over the other, and he rebuilt what had been destroyed, his home. It's the most magnificent spider web I'd ever seen. And I can't forget that today. Because when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I had to learn through things like that. I was so screwed up up here that, that I had to learn from things like that, from pictures that you painted, from things that you told me that, that I could make sense out of. Such as, you, you told me I could never be a social drinker again. Well, I knew that. I never was one in the first place. So why would I want to be what I wasn't? Because, you know, the closest I ever came to that was when somebody said, Oh, I think I'll have another drink. And I said, So shall I. Let's get on with it. And it, you know, you told me the story about the cute, like I was a cucumber growing in a garden, and then somebody picked me and put me in a big vat of yucky. And they slammed the lid down. And how long was I in there? Days, months, weeks, years. And then the time came when you took the, the lid off and, and got me out of there, and I was no longer a cucumber. I had turned into a pickle. And there is no way that a pickle can become a cucumber again. And I was told to buy a jar of pickles and keep them in my refrigerator on that shelf so that I could see them. I still have a jar of pickles on that shelf in my refrigerator. Not the same pickle. Because... I love pickles. But, you know, and I'll open the refrigerator and take a look at them and say, what step are you guys on today? You know? <laughs> if it works, why not use it? And it's simple, and it makes, <laughs> it, it, you know, laughter is phenomenal. If we didn't laugh, we'd cry. If I had walked through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous and seen a whole bunch of people in, in, you know, sackcloth and ashes, I'd have gone right back out. Laughter mends the soul. Tears cleanse the soul. Laughter mends the soul. So anyway, then they came. Oh, my Aunt Jean taught me a big lesson. When my Aunt Jean had 19 years of sobriety, she quit going to meetings. She figured she knew it. Six months later... She picked up her first drink, and three months after that, she died of internal hemorrhaging. It was another lesson in my life. Thank God she was there that morning. When Jerry came over, he said, it's not going to be easy, Beth, because nothing in life that's worthwhile is easy, but if you'll take our hands and you'll trudge this road with us. It'll get better, and today I think I know what better is. Better is the ability to look at myself in my eyes in the mirror. Do you know how long that took? Till I, oh, yeah, you look in the mirror and you comb your hair and you, you know, do, do, do. And, but to look in my own eyes and say, good morning. Or have a good day. 
or you're not so bad after all. That's phenomenal. Then they came, the sponsors. <laughs> Be very grateful today. You can pick your own. Back then we had to take what we got. And there were no returns. And they told me everything that I didn't want to hear. They were sharing their experience, strength, and hope with me. I love 12-step calls. Love them. I wish there were more of them. There's starting to be more of them up there in my area. And um, I remember the first one I went on. I got to share this with you. Um, the phone rang. And I picked up, hello, and the hand is out. I said, the hand is where? The hand is out. It was my sponsor. The hand is out, and when the hand is out, we are responsible. I said, we are? She said, we'll be ready in ten minutes, I'm coming. So I was all waiting to go see what this hand diddy was all about. And she said, we're going on a 12-step call. And I got in the she explained it to me when we were going to this person's house. We get out of the car. We go to the door. Knock. No answer. I start back to the car. She said, where are you going? I said, nobody is home. She said, wait a minute. On the second floor, the window is open like that. She said, you go in the garage and get an extension ladder. I said, that's breaking and entering. She said, no, it isn't. She called us. We didn't call her. And when the hand, I thought, <laughs> Yeah, there was one. So put it up, and I'm hanging on to it. She said, what are you doing? You're going up. Here's a big book. <laughs> now, she was like this. So she held the ladder, and I go up. Scared of heights, but I go up because... When the hand is out, it was hollered at me, and I thought I'd go nuts if I heard it one more time. <laughs> so I got up there, and I pushed the window open, and when I was going through, I caught my foot on the windowsill, and I fell flat down on the poor, suffering alcoholic <laughs> that's lying spread-eagled on the floor, hanging on to a vodka bottle. And I didn't know what to say. I'd never been on one of these. I'm this far from her face. So I just looked at her and said, Did you call Alcoholics Anonymous? And she... <laughs> she said she stayed sober. Till she, well, she, she died after 15 years of sobriety, and she st said she stayed sober till she died out of fear. <laughs> Whatever works. So my journey into these rooms began. And, uh, yeah, I love your handshakes. And, yeah, I love the way you explain things. And, yeah, I love the way you taught me. And, yeah, it, it's an ongoing thing. And um, you told me, you know, read your big book two pages a day out loud to get it in here, too, here and down in here. I love that big book. It's a love story. It just is a love story about a bunch of people that nobody got to the point that nobody really cared about. And about a God of our understanding who put two men together.
who share their experience, strength, and hope. And who found out that one alcoholic helping another and the wonderful love and support we get from Alcoholics Anonymous and from me, me rooms like this. That we build a spiritual foundation that, that can't be cracked. And we learn that our spiritual life is not a theory. It's a truth. It's a truth. I still read two pages a day out loud. Why not? It worked in the beginning. I, I don't know how many big books I've gone through. because And I have them at home, and they're underlined. And I write in the margin. It, it's magic. It changes. Yes, indeed, it answers any question you have. Sometimes I have to ask my sponsor and talk to her about it or my home group and the people close to me when something is going on inside of me because I can't always open it up to any, any page and find an answer. I'm not that smart. And Anne is talking to you and, and uh, listening. I write down the one thing of value that I've heard in, in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. I always do. It might be the one thing that will save my life down the line. I, I have a lot of notebooks that, that I've written down the one thing of value. And um, I, I leaf through those notebooks, and, and it, it's very simple. Very simple. And, and things that I can understand. Told me to read my 24-hour book four times a day out loud to get the thought for the day. And when I began in Alcoholics Anonymous, I was told to build my foundation on the four absolutes. Honesty, unselfishness, love, and purity. And, and you know, you told me that nothing, nothing is absolute. We can't be absolute in everything. But there are four questions that come out of those, those four absolutes that are terribly important. It's what you are about to do and say right or wrong. It's what you are about to do and say, ugly or beautiful. It's what you are about to do and say, true or false, and most important of all, how will it affect the other guy? You told me that action is the name of the game. To get to meetings early and hang around late. To quit wearing a watch. That, that there is no time in this. And that, that, you know, to, to get into the center, get in, do the kitchen duty, you know, sweep the floors after me. Nobody ever got drunk with a broom in their hand, my sponsor said. You know, and, and to stand up chairs and most of all, listen for somebody who said they were the new person. And get over there and, and just say hi and take their very cold hand in your now warm one. Just, just very simple, very basic. She said action is the name of the game. It's like ducks. Did you ever see ducks swimming on the water? They don't make a ripple. Sometimes take a look underneath. Their legs are going around like this. Do you know what happens to ducks when their legs stop? They sink and they drown. And that's what my sponsor said. If you want what they have, that serenity on the top of the water, if you want that peace, then you have got to do the action.
Because once you stop like a duck, you're going to sink and drown. And that made sense. And, and so they, I knew I was powerless over alcohol that screwed up my life. And I came to believe in you because you didn't lie to me. You never gave me a bum steer. Never. And you told me what to do. We did, I was never asked, did I want to go to a meeting? I was told. And because I couldn't, I was too sick to get into treatment. And there wasn't that much. There was just Rosary Hall in St. Thomas Hospital. And, and they were full to the brim. And Rosary Hall, as a matter of fact, didn't have women in it at that time. And, and so we went to two and three meetings a day, seven days a week. For the first year, I was sober. And you held my coffee cup because I was shaking too hard. And you loved me when I could not love myself. And I thank you for that. Hey, you know, and, and my belief in you is phenomenal. And then the time came when, when after, you know, my sponsor said, the steps are in order. They're written in order for a reason. And I know what time it is because I have been watching and I also know I have 12 minutes left. <laughs> 15 minutes. I'm not so dumb. I'm not like Zippy. <laughs> anyway. You deserve that. My sponsor said to me, before you go to bed at night, stick your bedroom slippers under your bed. And while you're down on your knees, because that's where you should be, sticking your bedroom slippers under your bed, say thank you. I said, to who and for what? She said, you'll find out who we're talking to. Don't push the river, honey. It runs just swell by itself. Easy does it, but do it. You know. And uh, in the morning when you wake up and you lie there and you listen to the sound, the beginnings of a new day, that's crazy. You're blooming where you're planted. You're taking time to smell the flowers. And now you want me to listen to the sounds of the new day? She said, did you ever do it? I said, no. She said, try it. You might like it. I heard wind for the first time in my life. I heard deer calling. I heard ice. I heard rain. really heard thunder. I, I heard things, I heard the moans, and, you know, the groans in your home. And I heard the breathing of the people I lived with and loved, learning to love. I still do it today because I figure if I listen long enough, I might hear the sun come up. Try it. You might like it. However, if you live by yourself and you hear somebody breathing, for God's sake, dial 911. <laughs> and then I got down on my knees. <laughs> I don't know, my mother always said, if it ever happens to you, better just lie there and enjoy it. There's nothing you can do about it anyway, dear. And I don't know what that has to do with this, but...
Um, might as well blame him. <laughs> and then in the morning, uh, you get down your knees and, and while you're digging away for your bedroom slippers, you remind yourself that you're an alcoholic and the problem is you and ask to make lemonade out of the lemons of life that are bounced your way today and get up and get on with this thing called life. And I did it because I wanted to be sober more than I wanted to be drunk. And I was willing to go to any lengths, and I found out who I was talking to, and I calmed God. You know, I know for a fact that God works through people in these rooms. I know for a fact that there is nothing like the power of prayer. I needed to get to know God before I did a fourth and fifth step or I never would have made it I needed that in my life and you knew it I needed to know that the spiritual thing that Alcoholics Anonymous talked about, that I heard from the day I walked through those doors, is not a theory. That it's real. And it is real. I have a God that does not make junky stuff. I have a God that I have never said, why me, to, because he never answers you anyway. You know, he just rumbles on. And he's slow. And You know, I, I pray for what I need and, and uh, not what I want because he already knows that so I figure I can't waste time in my life because I'm getting too old so I just for, for what I need and for other people and God talks through other people and I figure why not me obviously we are never given any more in a 24 hour period than we can handle with his love and, and, and 12 step beautiful steps and people in I um, had a little girl that was a year and a half younger than my first daughter, and uh, Kimberly got the measles, and back then you had to watch children with measles for a long, long time. And I was in the kitchen drinking, and my daughter Ann, at a little over three years old, three and a half, came out in the kitchen and said, Mama, Kimmy's on the floor. And, and I said to her to go away, I was busy. And she was back in a split second. And she said, Mama, Kimmy's the color of the sky. And, and I hit Ann, and I told her she was bothering me. And that little three-and-a-half-year-old went out of the house on a wintry day in her pajamas and went to the neighbors next door and asked for help for her sister. When the, the neurosurgeons at Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital in Cleveland said that Kimberly had had four very violent convulsions because nobody had gotten to her in time. And that uh, 
she had lost a lot of oxygen and had retrogressed back to a three-week-old baby mentally. Um, we had to put uh, Kimmy in a private home because she remained a three-week, three-and-a-half-week-old baby until the day she died. And, and my husband said, but we can't have her. We can't take care of her at home. We have, you know, my wife is a drunk. And uh, I never saw Kimberly sober. I never, um, I never went to see her sober. And when she died on Good Friday, when she was nine years old, my husband drove down with the, with the funeral director and he got her. And he brought her home and he combed her hair and he got her dressed at the funeral home and he sat with her. And I was home with a bottle. Um, forgiveness was an awful hard to work my way through. But you helped me when I took that fifth step. And my sponsor said to me, she started it out this way. She said, Beth, God is very aware of everything that you have done. And yet he chose to hand you a new way of life. The gift of life. The gift to live again. And if God has forgiven you that much, who are you not to forgive yourself? And I started on a long process of self-forgiveness. And I had to start to not to look at the good thing in my life. And pretty soon I was able to let go and forgive myself. I did not know how to let go. And I said to you, I hear you say, let go, let God, let go, let God. I don't know how. And my sponsor said, did anybody ever do anything for you? And I said, yes, my Scottish grandpa. And she said, tell me about it. And I remember having tea with my raggedy underneath the cherry tree, and the dog got a hold of her and ripped her eyes, one of her button eyes out, and, and ripped her dress and ripped off her arms, and she was a shambles, and I wept tears because she was the most important thing to me. And I got her all up and, and went to my grandpa with all these parts and everything and climbed up on his lap and felt those wonderful arms around me and, and held her out and said, Grandpa, can you fix her? And I remember those blue eyes and that Scottish brogue when he looked at me and he said, Betty, I cannot fix her until you let go of her. And I released that doubt with all the faith of a child, knowing that it would be all right. Not giving him instructions, not giving him a time limit, but release that doubt. I have to think about that when I let things go, and I learned how to let go and let go. I also had a little boy who lived eight days and he died. He was born an alcoholic because his mother drank around the clock while she was carrying him. Always listening to alcohol. Oh, it'll be all right. 
Jeffrey is buried besides Kimberly, and I was able to go with my sponsor and, and to talk to those children. And that was very important to me. And over the years, I was able to let go of that. You go on with the steps, and you learn to let go. And the steps are ongoing. I'm never finished with them. I don't intend on being finished with them. But we get through them, and, and we may, I think the greatest amends that can be made for me is to take AA out of these rooms, into the grocery store, when I'm standing there with my one loaf of milk brook bread and two baskets are ahead of me and nobody says, do you want to go first, madam? I know what I want to do with my Millbrook bread. I know what I want to flip when I get cut off on the freeway. My 20-year-old granddaughter said to me, Grandma, how can you think that way? You're almost 70 and you're going to flip somebody that you know what? Grandma, get a life. So grandma has to think. It, it's, um, you know, it's just ongoing. Everything is ongoing. And the practice of principles at home are very, very important to me. And, and this is exactly what you taught me to do, is to take AA home with me. I didn't know who these people were I was living with. You know, and they said, you know what you are? You're the only big book they've got. There, there was no Al-Anon in our area, which is very, very strange. Back in 1972, because we lived nine miles north of Akron, and uh, it, it, there was none. And, and so they said, you're the big book, the only big book your family has. So I shook hands with, you know, I'm Beth, I'm mother, you know, and... Um, I'll tell you what happened, very briefly. Um, my oldest daughter is almost 45 years old. And she uh, lives close to me. And uh, she has three of my ten grandchildren. I love my grandchildren. They range in age from 20 down to seven months. And they have taught me so much, especially the one that we just found out three weeks ago has cystic fibrosis. And little Madeline, without, darling little blind girl, without any I.S. nose or maybe, does her breathing exercises. And she is so full of life, so full of life. And, and the whole family gets together, and it's just a wonderful thing to see. I, am, I, I love my daughter, Anne. I, I remember it, t it took almost three years for her to call me mother. My husband didn't call me Beth until I'd been sober 18 months. I just had no name. And, and very slowly but surely, the family pulled together because you taught me to take it home from these rooms. And, and you taught me that the world is a looking glass. And what I see in it is a reflection of myself. I love to take other people's inventories until I think about that. And then I've got to pull it up by the bootstraps. 
My daughter Linda has five of the children, and she and her husband live close to me. And Linda is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal, wonderful mother. I and um, her, her husband is is just as wonderful as he can be. My son Bruce lives around the corner. It was three years before Bruce even talked to me. He wouldn't even sit in a room with me. And and I said to you, what am I to do? And you said, you just keep doing what you're doing. That's the deal. Stop squishing them like a butterfly. Figure your family's like butterflies. If they fly away and they don't come back, that's how it is. If they fly away and come back, you were meant to have them. So I went to his little league games and and, uh, his hockey games, and that day came in July when he stood on a ball mound about to throw the final championship ball and his eyes searched the stands and found mine and he saluted me with the ball and after the game was over he said mother it doesn't make any difference if we win or we lose as long as you're here and I was able to talk to him he, he is a darling old girl and, and my son John is uh, he and Bruce are both paramedics and firefighters and John, uh, I remember the first time he came home and he wanted lunch, and I didn't know how to make lunch, and I called my sponsor, and I said, for God's sake, he wants lunch. And his eyes came up across the counter, and he said, I'll teach you how to make lunch. And she said, you came as a child. Listen to a child. Let a little child lead you. So he took out the peanut butter and jelly and the bread and he spread peanut butter on one piece of bread and he said daddy said be careful you make holes in the jelly you fall through and then he spread jelly over here and he put them together and he said this is a sandwich mom now you make one and with tears pouring down my face i made my first sober sandwich while a seven-year-old patted me on the back and said job well done those are the blessings a wonderful man that hung in there we got to we got to know each other, and the love was so solid. And I was sober four years, and it, it happened over a period of four years. I was sober four years when I heard those horrid words, acute myeloid monocytic leukemia, and I felt like I'd been sucker punched in the soul. And you said, it's the circumstances of life, and I came to believe that. It isn't that God stood there and said, we, Bruce. It, it, it was the circumstances of life, and what God does is give you the courage to get through things a day at a time because you've got wonderful support, and you've got people praying for you. And I watched a man with, with such courage go through two and a half years of a horrific disease. Never complaining. And I was able to take care of him when he needed to be taken care of, the way he had taken care of the family through the terrible illness of alcoholism. Night before he died, he said to me, Want to dance? And uh, put on an old Sinatra record and. Uh, I held him real close to me, is at home, held him real close to me and because uh, he was six, over six feet tall and he, he only weighed 103 and, and um, 
he said to me, Bethy, I'm going to tell you something that I never want you to forget and I want you to pass on. That there is not a greater thing going than Alcoholics Anonymous. And he said, soon I'll be meeting the man that made it all possible and say thank you from myself, from you, from our family, and from the millions of alcoholics who are recovering out there. The hardest thing in the world was to let go of him. And um, all the prayers were there. And uh, I know he's in a better place. On August the 2nd of this year, I had bypass surgery. It was a seven-hour surgery. And my children, they were right there with me, and they stayed three hours after surgery, and then they left to go home. And they were probably gone from the hospital about a half an hour when my blood pressure fell to nothing, and my heart stopped beating, and I was hemorrhaging from my breastbone. And as they took me back to surgery, the, the surgeon called my daughter Linda, and he said, call your sister and your brothers because we don't think we're going to be able to save your mother. And we'll be back in the surgery. And five and a half hours later, I came out. I um, spent a little time on that day at a lake with water that is so blue and flowers that are such a brilliant color. And I was right there at that lake. And at that lake was my husband and my daughter Kimberly and my son Jeffrey with their red hair and he said to me and there was a feeling of love and my husband said to me you know you can't stay and I knew it and uh, he said but I wanted to tell you that you're going to be alright and that we will be here We'll be here waiting for you when you come back to stay, and that we love you dearly. I'm sharing this with you for this reason. Is it because I know that the spiritual life that we live is not a theory? It's a way of life. I know that the happiness, joy, and freedom that is promised us in the big book is out there. I know that, that when we go to that meeting in the sky, that we are going to be with the people that we have loved and who love us. When I woke up the second time, well, well, when I woke up, because I hadn't been awake after the first surgery, when I woke up 
after my surgery and my kids were standing there. And I could share with them what had just gone on. My daughter, Ann, said, I knew it, Mom. I know that there is a place. She said, you can't not not know Oh, after all the love and support that this family has gotten from Alcoholics Anonymous. None of my children are alcoholics. None of my grandchildren that are old enough are. The journey is something else. The journey is special. And today on the journey, even when that dark cloud comes across the sunshine, you can see that ray of sunshine coming through it. You can see that flower popping up. So it is very important to not drink, to go to meetings, to pick up a broom, and to do all that you can do. It is a phenomenal way of life, and I thank God for it, and I thank you for it. i, I got to share this with you, and then he's probably sweating balls out. I'm too old to care anymore. So what? Uh, I don't know where else you're going. Happy anniversary and many more. Written March the 5th of 2000. Dear Mother, 28 years. We can't believe it, any of us. Time shoots by. We'd like to say thank you, Mother. Sometimes we forget. Thanks for caring, for being positive, even when things look gloomy. For believing in us, for loving us, loving those we love, for being real. Basically, for making a difference. Sure, you've gotten upset, have cried, felt sad, but never have you blamed or made everyone miserable. You fix you by doing what Alcoholics Anonymous tells you to do. Your love, your support, just being you, Mom, have meant the world to us. We will never forget how you helped us to walk through the hurt of Daddy's illness, of being an example to us of strength. We have tried to pass this on to our children, all who think you are more special than Santa Claus. Mom, you say it isn't you. You never take credit. Always say it's what AA teaches and expects you to do. Your deep love for God, Mother, is remarkable. Keep trudging your road of sobriety. What would we have done? Where would we be without you, your example, and the example of Alcoholics Anonymous? God bless you, Mother. We love you dearly. And it's signed Anne, John, Linda, and Bruce, and the ten grandchildren. I thank you for this. This is because, this is only because of you. And now may the road rise to meet you and the wind be always at your back and the sun shine warm upon your face and the rain fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Thank you. God bless you. Have a wonderful weekend in life.